Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This is episode 57 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I will never forget the first thing John did when he picked up the phone for the podcast. He asked about my life and took time to find out more about Washed Up Emo before the interview even started. I was blown away at how humble he was, but also so proud of his life's work. It's an honor to be able to present a small slice of John that many of his friends and family know so well. I count myself included now. This podcast is supposed to be evergreen. You can listen to this in five or ten years and know a good chunk of that band or era in some context and a way to look back but also look ahead. John was that last point to a T. He was so happy about the history, but also his new music and what was next. Sadly, this is the last interview that John Bunch did. can only hope that those close, or those who have no idea who John was, take and learn something from one of the most important voices in not only the independent scene, but music in general. I'm eternally grateful John took the time to talk with me about his life that will thankfully live on in oral form so someone can stumble upon John's music forever. Before the interview starts, I thought, what better way, if you knew him or you didn't, to listen to a little mix of John's music? Rest in peace, John Bunch. There's a light up ahead. Hey, John, how are you? Good, dude. Sorry about that, man. That's okay. What's going on? Oh, just uh, hanging out. I um, I realized because I had set up... I actually sh- should have done this before with you. I had set up my Skype because um, I haven't used it in probably a few years. And then I had set it up to... Uh, I couldn't remember the password, so I had to flip the password. And then I... I didn't make the right password so when it came time to get the call so and so how long have you been doing washed up emo uh since 2007 i got a kick out of the title and i was like well i wonder what he means by it you know and and um 
it's like it's like does it mean it is washed up or does it mean that it's you know what i mean like i didn't know i didn't know like the angle or whatever but it's very cool you know did you um how how old are you now i am 37 oh okay but i feel like i'm 22 still so <laughs> yeah well you're still living that like yeah that that uh fantasy yeah fantasy dream <laughs> career you know like that a lot of the guys i mean dude every Everybody that I knew, that I know, well, not everybody, but most people that I, you know, being, you, you know, how old were you during the '90s, like the the big signing wave? From like were, the, like the late '90s, I, I was in high school. Or sorry, no, late late remember, '90s, okay. I was in college. Okay, well, you know, all throughout the '90s, I mean, all the labels signed every band they could, and um, the, the it was sort of like the last great. Uh, record label signing wave that and it'll probably never occur again and um, you know all the people that were in the industry were still living living like high on the hog you know flying first class and big expensive dinners and I think that probably might still happen every once in a while but I don't think it's it'll ever be the way it was you know you got frustrated in the 2000s. Was it with the music or the scene or the industry or? It was the scene. I mean, uh-huh. it was. Like how it kind of became like more um, like macho, machismo, like gangster kind of style or like what was it that was frustrating you or it, how, be, how it became top 40 commercial? Yeah, or it, was, it was how people were using the word emo oh. and it was, it was, you know, on MTV. It was, but it was these pop right. punk bands and some of them had roots and uh, you know well, there's you know some of them were were connected to it but a lot of it was all right well this is what's going to be huge so oh, let's dude. Just and you know that it. that's that's absolutely true tom because i remember um when sensefield was still together and there was this pizza shop around the corner from where i was living and there was this dude who he was kind of in like this kind of hippie jam band and i would just like shoot the shit with him about music and stuff like that and then he, he he just popped up one day he didn't really know anything about my background or anything like that and he's like yeah well we're, we're starting we're gonna change our style and we're doing this like emo thing because i guess that's like the popular thing and it's like we want to get signed and i was like wow you know that's crazy that that people have no relationship whatsoever to what what it is and they're just starting a band because it's popular yeah so yeah, it definitely, yeah, it definitely became, yeah, like you said, it came, became like commercialized, you know, and um, it's really, it's, it became very weird, like almost surreal. But, you know, it's weird because the same thing happened with punk, too, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, mean, I just thought the weird thing is that punk is still cool. Punk, yeah. punk had, it, it, when you say punk, you say Ramones. When right. you still say emo, people say expand. Um, right. that, you know, that I've mentioned a million times on the podcast. And I, my hope to God is that when I'm, you know, 90 and people say the word, I hope that they say sunny day real estate, or they say something right. about an indie band versus saying that, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I just hope that maybe you yeah. know the whole history because I feel well, like I, punk got a pass. Like, yes, you might say green day, yeah. but you might not, you'll, you're, you're going to still say the Ramones. Right. And you know, the weird thing was back in the day when we first started listening to punk, um, it wasn't cool to be a punker and most people would say punk sucked. So it's kind of weird that, uh, what was in the eighties? Be- like, was that, was that the eighties? Was this in LA was it, being, it, that, yeah. being yeah. that, was it all, was it more like, was it dance? Was it all the disco stuff? Like what was, what was it, sort of happening then? Well, are you talking about um i would say the 80s outside episode. of the punk scene what was sort of well pop? i mean you know so obviously um there was the the disco era of the late 70s but then there was the new wave era and, new you know, wave the, is what i was thinking of sorry yeah 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 and um but yeah when i mean punk was underground i mean it it, it was really uh there was some there were some uh radio shows like rodney on the rock that would play you know, the Circle Jerks or the Germs or, or uh, you know, Alice in the Bags and like in the, in the, in like, you know, late seventies and stuff like that. And the Ramones and the Clash and the Sex Pistols and Generation X and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, when, if you were a punk, it, that, that's, that's funny when you were saying how um, an, a kid might go through a period where he's listening to emo, doesn't have any, uh, 
history of it, doesn't even know emo stands for emotional hardcore, doesn't know anything, and then that just and then it's out of his life for 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 good. Um I used to always trip out on someone who would be into punk but then be into other music too, you know, like uh you know i don't know i just because I, I think i think for for my generation um uh, which we i'd say is like a second uh se- second or third generation punk rock kid from la if you count you know the se- the if black flag started in 77 and that was considered punk um punk had was more of an art scene in in the in the 70 late 70s um, if, if you hear the old cats talk about it, you know, bands like X and it was visible, like kind of more like about artists and there wasn't as much violence. It was scary, but it wasn't, it was more about the art and they call it kind of the art era. And there was a, there was new wave and punk kind of was mixed together. So a new wave band might play with a punk band and the new wave band might be called a punk band. The punk band might be called a new wave band. It's just that there was no defining lines. And then hardcore punk started right around 80. Um, uh, you know, if you exclude bands like the bad brains or black flag, but the hardcore era was from like 80 to 83. And I started, I would hear these songs and I'd hear other kids play it, but Obviously, I was just 10 years old. I didn't really understand it. But we really started listening to it in 83, like listening, listening to it. And then we started going to shows around then. Um, And that's when I, you know, I sort of consider like missing the first two eras of what punk was. And then kind of witnessing the L.A. punk's funeral, as as it were, you know, um, and watching the scene sort of like die in front of me. It like died and then regurgitated and like came back as like a zombie you know <laughs> yeah but then with but, you know with 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 punk itself and and that that term and going back to sort of the term emo no one wants to be associated with it right emo no one i mean punk was like yeah i'm a punk I, i'm hardcore but this specific word you know there's there's some articles that that happen or were written and then it's like oh when 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 i was this when i was in uh-huh emo kid and and yeah. that was back then ha 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 i'm like wait a minute there was actually a seriousness to it there was a community yeah. and i think you i mean definitely when uh sensefield was on revelation i mean l- listening to that uh compilation uh yeah. in flight program i mean th- the diversity right. at yeah. that time oh and, there was a scene dude there was it was a real scene and it, and you know the the first person that called the first guys that called us emo were uh, sick of it all, and uh, <laughs> I love and sick that's of it all. kind of like why, and that was probably like around ninety four or something like that. But they and they said it kind of like a, as a jab, but but also um, they recognized that it was a a branch of hardcore from the hardcore tree. You know, they knew it was part of the scene. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't like a separated thing. It was rooted in punk rock and rooted in hardcore in its own way. And most of the most all of the kids had a complete history and background of punk and hardcore music. And you know, um, those bands it, played together. Yeah, those bands played together. We played with Sick of It All a bunch of times. You know, and then for you and, guys, I think that you know the you were definitely different. Um, yeah. on that comp, I mean, it was, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't screaming. It was more, where, where, where did that come from when you guys were sort of getting together and, and, you know, if it was, you know, the self-titled or I just yeah. think those things, when you put it on against everything else in 94 or 95, it was, yeah. it was completely different. Well, you know, the, there's a, th- there's, it's funny. I, I always talk to Dana Mahoney. Um, he's, from the band No for an Answer, and he's in a band called Dundine right now. And he always talks about like singing. You know, we're both singers, and he's you know he's, he's a screamer, and he's he's uh, always say like, where did you where did you start? Like, wh- where did you get the idea of starting to sing in punk? And and if you listen to if you listen to the Reason to Believe Seven Inch, uh, Reason to Believe band, the band that I was in in high school, the hardcore band. You know, there was there was a lot of singing in it, but I was like screaming, singing. But really, um, if you listen to the older bands, 
uh, like the Misfits, you know, Danzig's singing. And if you listen to a lot of the old punk rock, there's a lot of singing in it. And, um, you know, the band Scream from Washington, D.C. on Discord, you know, Pete Stahl was a great singer. You know, HR would sing. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, there was singing involved. And um, like the Clash sang, you know, uh, Joey Ramone sang. And, you know, Greg Graffin from Bad Religion, he sings. You know, and so I don't see... I don't see um, because those are the bands we would grew up on. So uh, to me, it wasn't that big of a leap to uh, to sing in 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 the music um, because that's what all my favorite bands and singers were doing. So I just was just following that lead. You know, I I did try to scream a lot, um, not in Sensefield, but in in Reason to Believe and. Uh, try to sound like Jerry A from Poison Idea, and uh, <laughs> and it just it just you know I'd be spitting up blood. I couldn't talk for two days, and it just wasn't it just wasn't my thing, you know. Um, I mean, too and, at that. I mean, you. I mean, the bands at that time, and that you were connected with with Rev. I mean, uh-huh. bands like Into Another or Texas yeah. The Reason, Far. I mean, yeah. those were all. I just I I know that that's happening today. I think you know in the in the in the tens of the two thousand years, uh, yeah. there's a lot of these bands that are different sounding. And if it's a shoegaze band or a you yeah. know, twinkle band, they're all kind of connecting. I felt like Rev at that time, definitely for building. I think for '96 and and those, t- it just seemed to be the tours were we are friends and we're connected. Yeah. And not only that. Um but all the kids in the crowd were uh, friends. Everybody knew each other. I mean, it was like a real scene. It was like a thriving scene, you know. Everyone knew each other. Most of the guys were in bands. They were mostly in, like, hardcore bands. Um, a big reason why um, Sensefield was... One of the reasons why kids... Uh, what, what One of the reasons why we caught on at shows were... We would play with hardcore bands, and we were we were the one band on the bill that the girls could come down onto the floor and like watch us without worrying about getting beaten up and stuff, mm-hmm. or getting their nose broken. And and um, I think, th- and this is totally how I see it, Tom, is that the guys would see the girls liking our band, and they wanted the their girlfriends and their and their friends that were girls to like their band, and then they would end up changing their sound and doing more of a like mineral Jim, uh, not Jimmy world, but mineral and, and sunny day thing. Like post. Yeah. Yeah. Like our sound wasn't really the easiest to copy because we had so many different kind of styles of songs. But, but you know, when I think of like the early years of emo and like, and then what, what was a guiding light for most bands when they would like, they would hear the sunny day stuff and then they would just take that record and like kind of, kind of try to form that sound. And then, um, so then, you know, when we started touring more, um, we'd come back around to a town and this band that we had played with, that was a hardcore band before would be like, yeah, well, we broke up, we started a new band and they'd be doing the sunny day thing. And, um, I think I really, really, really believe that it had to do with the fact that they wanted girls to like their bands. I mean, it was, it was part that was definitely a part of the factor. Are we recording by the way? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Yeah, man. You're you're a professional. But so I really think that that was a big part of it, you know. It's kind of funny, but to look at it that way, but it's I think it's true, you know. I really I always thought post that. was like that. Like I just yeah. thought, you know, if you're you had the hardcore bands, but then the post hardcore core band would be a little bit bigger, a little bit slower, yeah. maybe singing and some screaming, uh yeah. more epic sounding and it seemed yeah. like that was a bridge that yeah. I think a lot of people were into because if you were just going to be, you know, and I love Madball, but if it's just going to be Madball and sick of all bands, I think some people get, they were like, all right, you know, I need to like <laughs> relax yeah. for a minute. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the post hardcore label and the emo label was the same, um, yep. in early, in the early years, you know, like when they would say, Oh, they're a postcard, they're a post hardcore band and, or they're an emo band, which, you know, like I said, emo. When when sick of it all called us emo, um, they were they were making fun of us with in a respectful way, and um, but they did recognize that there was a, a real scene behind it, and all those hardcore kids that were part of that emo scene loved sick of it all as well. So it was like 
it was it was like you know it was it, there weren't dividing lines and the best part the best part about that whole era and that scene was you know coming out of the LA uh, punk rock scene with all the gangs and the violence and um you wouldn't you know you wouldn't believe how just ultra violent the shows were and um i i know that for me I really wanted to be part of a, I think I was like 18 or 19 um, when Sensefield started or, you know, and I wanted to be part of a new scene where there wasn't violence and there wasn't people, gangs and people getting beaten up. And that's, that was kind of the beauty of it all for me was that we actually like were now part of this new generation of kids that got it you know there wasn't there wasn't any of that old stuff you're right Um, i really actually didn't think of that until now that there you're right i mean a hardcore show had certain things to it there was a there was a gang there or there was a group of kids that fsu crew or whoever it was that were you know a a part of it and you were like wait a minute i want to be at a show that isn't that or yeah, it just yeah. has has a different bands and I mean for for Sensefield I mean you guys transcended I mean you know that Mineral Jimmy World Split is still talked about right uh, you know you toured with all those bands yeah. you were you were there during the boom and I think that's yeah. sort of really interesting I mean the late nineties uh, you know I think a lot of people uh, especially that listen to this sort of revere but also you were there and you had the signing you were signed to warner brothers right and you had the classic story of fighting to yeah. get your record back and sitting there for five years can you talk about yeah. that yeah so that's exactly what happened i mean we we signed i think in 96 and um basically you're you know you know the history of the industry fairly well i'm sure but you know everyone once we signed everyone that brought us over got let go <laughs> they just they just gutted the whole building and re, restructured and um you know the recordings that we made were kind of stuck all the new people wanted to bring in their old bands and then eventually we got let go and we were able to re-record the music which is what our guitar player Chris um you know got a pro tool set we just ended up re-recording everything and then we got re-signed it took it took a long time i mean it did it took you know, four years, five years, or whatever, we ended that's up... A, that's um, an eternity for a band. It, it is an eternity for a band, and it hurt us bad. And um, But we were able to, you know, should we have broken up back then? Pro- maybe, probably, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. Emo bands don't have a problem with breaking up, you know? It kind of adds to their mystique, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, Anyway, we ended up re-signing to Network Records, and we had a good run with them for a good number of years, and, um, you know, continued to tour and all that, and... um uh, I guess you know time. that 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 time frame. Like if it's the you know the Tonight and Forever record or the yeah. Living Outside. I mean, two thousand one. I call that you know that that's like post Bleed American. Uh, right. That's a lot of things started to happen. A lot of bands started to even you know there was more of a frenzy. Two thousand three. You're sort of right before the bubble of this sort of popping. Where you, when you're playing, are you seeing are you seeing the kids change? Are you seeing anything sort of happen out there? As you were like, wait a minute, I think our fans are getting older and not coming out. Yeah. And <laughs> well, you know, the, the fans would, the, the old school fans would still come come out. They weren't, they weren't quite, you know, married with children yet, you know? Um, but yeah, there was just a, the, the, this is the thing is the kids that were really, really into the scene, the, the, the scene got younger and it got more popular commercially. And then you could go into a, hot topic and by you know there was there was a ton of bands like you said a lot of people started bands because it was the popular uh thing to do you know and the attention span of a kid is like if this band's popular that i would see these bands not be popular for very long and then they would move on to another band and so you know you just kind of try to navigate your way through it and um you know try to survive as, as best you can, you know? And, um, but yeah, it's, it's an ever evolving, fluctuating ebb and flow thing. It's like this living, breathing ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, 
it yeah it's just and then and then things get more confusing because it's like this band is nobody knows what to call it you know and i don't know there was there was a golden era to it and and then it just became too big you know it became too big and it became very very popular um when it was very very underground you know I mean, and but then, things you know, like, weren't think yeah. bands weren't talk. Ba- people weren't talking about Sensefield then, or if right. it was two thousand seven, two thousand. Uh, I mean, that was the that was they, one of the they catalysts. They really still they really still don't. I mean, there'll be like a top top fifty emo bands, and we might get on it, we might not. And we've never shied away from being called emo. You know, it wasn't because, like I said, when we were called it, it was in a healthy way by a respected band like Sick of It All. You know, so we we didn't feel like it was a diss, you know, and, and a lot of the, it's, it was so weird because a lot of the bands that, you know, started because emo was popular, hated the tag, you know? So it's like, it's this weird thing. It's like, they didn't want to be associated with that tag, but then they wanted to be associated with the scene. And then the scene was, (laughs) the scene was like morphing into like top 40. And it'd be, I don't know. It just, it was just, hard to even fathom you know yeah and and the the whole thing about it is this sort of history know know where these bands came up and a lot of times it's just kind of for a lot of people it stopped or it started in 2009 or two started in 2008 and i get that there's a certain amount of people but i'm hoping over time that there's this whole understanding of that it does there's an ebb and flow and yes you can call it whatever you wanted for a certain time but there's a there's a time period that needs to be remembered, and I think Sensefield, you know, is definitely part of that. Um, and I think you guys doing, you know, all the splits, which was sort of the the playlist of the era, you right. know, getting yourself in front of different people was the now the Spotify playlist of of that era. Um, Sync, you know, I think TV Sync, uh, which yeah. is still big now, was huge back then. Yeah, um, and that's that that's almost. Uh, you know, I think uh, brought on new life um, for for so many different bands, and then now it's so easy to find out about it. One, so, yeah, we, it was it was easier. Uh, it's easier now than it was before. YouTube right. search, Spotify. I mean, you could learn about everything in an afternoon if you really wanted to. When it totally. took months, <laughs> and you know, there's like all these weird, like um, I don't even remember if you remember back in the MySpace days. There was like like these weird, like there was like emo space, and there was like, um, and then somebody was saying how they learned they would learn about bands through some kind of like emo app or something weird like it was called emogame.com yeah emogame.com like that's how they learned about like how to find out about bands and stuff like that yeah the guy that uh, designed that came to our dj night in new york city yeah and we flipped out we could i couldn't believe that he showed up and he he was like oh you might know me i did this thing and i was like oh my god and he i mean that was so tongue in cheek because he was from the earlier era. Like he loved mineral yeah. and like so it was sort yeah. of a. But I mean, there's so many funny things from that time period. Um, the other thing I was going to say too is you know in the beginning, um, you know I guess maybe one of the reasons why you know I maybe haven't been as successful as other bands is I've never like really had a competitive spirit um, against other bands. And and maybe that's something that I missed out on or I should have had. But, you know, things got very, very competitive. And I never knew we were in a race, you know. I just thought, like, we were part of the scene. And and, um, and uh, I, I it threw me off to be presented by other bands that were being very competitive, you know, like – like we're in we're against each other you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like that just completely flipped my wig you know i didn't even know like they were thinking in those terms you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so that fucked with me and um what years was that was that was that the late 90s oh yeah it kind of started later it kind of started later where i'd say after maybe like maybe 90s yeah 96 97 where bands were you know you know just and and you know people bands you know when bands would say like yeah we're huge they would talk about themselves like that's where it just got weird you know like um i guess i guess now thinking of it it's like you know what maybe it wasn't i guess when you're not 
thinking in those terms, um, it just threw you off, you know? It's like a girl talking about how beautiful she is or... Uh, you know, it was just, but you look, you look at like these rap artists, like they talk about how incredible they are all the time, but it just, it was just weird coming. Cause you know, like you said, emo music or post hardcore music was supposed to mean something and you weren't supposed to be in it for the money or you weren't supposed to be in it for, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, not saying popularity is not the right word because you want your band to be popular, but have some you weren't, you weren't you weren't in it to be a rock star you were in it because it was you loved the music and you love you know what i'm saying i mean yeah. ha- have some substance there was a i mean i could i mean i love going through and and um trying to list out bands from warp tour from that era and try to name them and do you remember them they don't because there yeah. was no substance to it right, uh, right and i think there's the bands that do will continue on and be remembered right uh, and i hope that that you know still happens but yeah there there was it, you really quickly saw, I mean, with punk too, I think that yeah. same thing happened. Everyone, you know, found their studded belts and, and tr- yeah. tried to figure out, you know, play three chords and th- those yeah. bands are long forgotten and maybe they had a hit, maybe they had the one hit wonder uh, and, you know, lightning in a bottle, whatever happened. But I hope that over time that this, that kind of gets thought of as, okay, that was this, you know, pop era and, yeah. you know, punk had the same thing. But uh, I, I mean, I, okay, for, go ahead. I think for you guys, when you were doing further seems forever, yeah. um, which I think you fit perfectly by the way, with the voice, you know, you were, that was, that was right. That was right in the, you know, prime, prime time. Oh, was it? You know, I, that's the thing is that how old are you now? You're 37. 37. So how old were you in 2003? Woof. Uh, I was 22, 23, I guess. Right. So for me, I mean, see, I was 33, so I was 10 years older. You know, I'd been in bands since I was 15, and, and to me, um, it's not that I didn't understand what was happening. I knew that things were bigger than ever, and so, but but it's hard to know what the perspective was for a 22-year-old, you know, because I wasn't 22, I was 23, you know, I mean, 33, I'm sorry, yeah. So, I mean, when you say that, to me, um, for me, it was just all kind of linear, I guess, and there were good good shows bad shows i'm talking about like my whole career there's good shows bad shows great tours bad tours or decent tours you know everything was you're just kind of flowing you know mm-hmm. um but specifically and, with further did you notice yeah, with, anything or were there well i mean you know they're they were a big band i mean they were, people loved further scenes forever you know um it wasn't particularly easy being the third singer of a band I, it's it sucks being the second singer so imagine it was not easy being the third, but I was really, really, the reason why I did it was because of the music. Um, what the, the story behind it was that they had recorded the album and they had it, uh, you know, 10 instrumental songs and they needed someone to write lyrics and sing on it. And so when they sent me the music, you know, I was certainly hesitant. I'm like, fuck, I don't know if I want to you know, be a third singer of a band. And then, you know, I was talking to, I've known Kraba for a while. I was talking to Kraba and he's just like, fuck it, Bunch, just do it, you know? And um, I heard the music and then I was able to write to it fairly easy. And it was really beautiful. Like the music was, if you heard the the music instrumentally, it was, it was really good. Like, like so much depth to it and all these I don't want to sound cheesy, but like all these colors and within the music. And I was like, fuck, like this is really, really good. Um, and when I was able to, I was at home in LA and I had written, I think I had demoed two songs and sent them, sent them back to them because they're in Florida and they liked them. And they're like, uh, why don't you fly out and just record the record? And I was like, okay, well, when I left to record, I only had those two songs demoed. So I had to write the record in the studio with James with um, James Wisner, and when I when I landed, um, you know, I ended up staying at James's house, and I think I had like eight days or something like that. And uh, the band was in Fort Lauderdale. I was in Orlando with James, and um, basically day one we recorded the first song. I think it was "Light Up Ahead" that I had demoed, and then um, I started writing to the next song um that night and then 
uh, we did the second song that I demoed, um, which I, I think might have been Hide Nothing. I don't know. And then the next day, that night, wrote another song, like lyrics. And wrote, so I was writing, I wrote the record as I was recording it. And the last song, which is called um, For All We Know, we. We had run out of time, and James was like, "Let's just let's just try something." I didn't have any lyrics or anything. I just ad libbed that whole last song because we ran out of time. <laughs> but so, like that was that that was the weird thing is that we'd record all day, and then James was like, oh, "I gotta go, I gotta go," you know, hang out with my family, and I would just like sit under headphones and like work on the songs and um, try to write as much as I could, and, and thankfully got it done. And I'm happy. I'm very proud of that record like when i hear it i think it's a very very beautiful record it doesn't really sound like anything they've done before and uh, it's there's to me it's kind of more of like an adult rock record but compared to you know compared to the other stuff but i i'm very very proud of it i'm glad i did it i didn't like being the third singer i didn't like being uh compared to other like I don't want to be compared to Carava. Carava's my friend. We're two totally different voices, two totally different people. And the same thing with Jason. It's like, you know, I'm six foot six, uh, you know, <laughs> t- 250 pounds, and I'm, you know, 10 years older than those guys. And it's like, I'm not the young, cute little emo dude, you know? And uh, I just think it, it, you know, it just was, it, was, it wasn't easy for me all, all the time, you know? But I, I felt like, I had done enough in my previous bands to be able to, you know, do it and feel good about it. And then also, um, you know, the music, the music that I did with further, I was very, very proud of. So, and we ended up touring when we, when they first called me, they're like, well, maybe we'll just do the record and then we'll just, we won't tour. And I was like, all right. And then, and then we ended up getting offers and then we ended up touring for three years. We went to Europe and we went to Japan and so we and we toured almost constantly that whole th- those whole three years, you know. And they were good shows as well, you know. What were some of the tours? Because I well, forget. <laughs> I remember we toured with Sparta. Oh, nice! And we toured with uh, the Starting Line. I love Kenny. I don't know if you ever met Kenny. I have. He's he, he, dude. He's a kid to talk to in the next podcast, man. He's so fucking brilliant. He is a fucking brilliant dude. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're definitely uh, the you know I think the that era or that time period they they were one of the big ones. I think they were, I believe, were they signed when I was at Virgin? I think they still. I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, they're definitely one. What but label the, were they on? That that whole. Do you remember what label they? That I all think those it was bands? Virgin. But before that, like the yeah drive through, dri- drive through, and all Wolf. when Sensefield when Sensefield would tour drive through i don't know how they did it but they would always get drive through bands to open uh like f- it happened for like five years like where every band we were opening um what's what's it called we're on it too chad and um newfound glory yeah newfound glory we're on drive through i think and um anyway but yeah so i i mean kenny's awesome and then i'm trying to think of who else we toured with too there was just a ton of bands um and it was it was a good run you know and um and you know it's funny because then then you know Dan Bonebreak, who was the original bass player of Dashboard, is one of my best friends, and Karaba is his best friend. And so uh, you know I'd always I'd always like you know talk to Karaba about being in further, and he would, and I think finally he was just Karaba's like, look, John, you know you did it, you made a great record, and um, you know time to you know time to pack it in the band was dissolved like we because we kept having like to find a new bass player we kept having to find a new guitar player Mm -hmm. and it was just like it just wasn't the original sentiment even though they were good shows and the songs sounded great but i think it was time and kraba i think had in his mind he's like i'm gonna get the guys back together with the original lineup which is what he did for penny black yep and put it out on rise and then um the and they did, you know, I went out to that show, they played here in the Troubadour, and it was rad to see those guys, and then Bravo was like super sweet, he gave me a shout out from the stage. Oh, and, that's rad. Uh, yeah, it is rad. And, uh, and um, what I was going to say, and then now it's like they're doing a tour with Jason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I'm happy for Jason, that's cool, you know, and I think, I think that, I think you're, that moment that you're talking about the emo moment, the big, the big moment was, I think that was Jason's era. I think that was that, the, um, 
the record that he did, How to Start a Fire era, that's when like that shit was like really going off like all across the scene. You definitely, know? definitely. Don't you agree with that? Yeah, oh definitely. I think his I think his time period was definitely when that band had a had a hook. Um, yeah. Um and definitely because obviously coattails of further and the moon is down, everyone was right. all about it. So And people accepted him, I think, for the most part, you know? Like mm-hmm. I think he had he he was able to fill in well you know and he was a great performer and he's got a great voice and good looking kid you know so um yeah dude i mean that's the thing and they, they're actually re- they're doing like a how to start a fire i think i don't know if they're doing a tour or like doing just a, a run of shows or whatever you know <laughs> i love that's the I-, I love the new hiatus like it's not like 16 years like mineral it's three yeah <laughs> i know and the funny the, the funny thing hiatus. yeah dude the funny thing too is um so now people are like, so bunch is bunch is you know going to come back and do another further uh, tour, you know, which is funny. It's like, and then we'll go back to Chris again, and then go back to you know. It's like, oh my god, you know, that'll be really funny. Actually, that'd be fucking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I mean, too the I mean, speaking of just staying on Sensefield for or mm-hmm. going back to Sensefield was those reunion shows for Rev Twenty Five. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In 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 twenty five, what, what did you kind of most enjoy? Did you obviously it was fun to see everybody, but was there anything you didn't expect uh, by by doing um, those shows? You know there, you know, yeah, there was. Um, the thing that really kind of blew my mind was, you know, we played the set and it was really great because we had our original drummer Scott play and um, the music was really big. And if I may speak of my own band's music, it was just very big and beautiful and really felt really great to be back with with them. But I, like looking out on the audience... Um, and seeing everybody standing there, it was like a full house, you know, and just seeing these big old burly dudes with tattoos holding their girlfriends with beards and trucker hats and, <laughs> sing, and, and like swaying to the music and singing the songs. That, that's the thing that tripped me out the, hard, the hardest, you know. That there were hardcore kids with their girls just, getting yeah, into just, it. Yeah, and just like big old tattooed beer belly dudes like – you know, sway into the song, singing as loud as they can, just like holding their girlfriends, you know, and that was, that was really, really rad, you know, um, I loved it, I loved it, you know. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's sort of the full circle moment where that's what, you know, you saw it earlier, you saw the yeah. girls being into it, and then the guys finally learned that yeah. that's, that's, that's what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just... It was a cool, a cool part of that whole show, and and like you said, seeing all the old friends together, um, all playing with all those bands again. I love seeing Richie Birkenhead, and um, I love seeing uh, Porcel, and uh, I just saw uh, saw Gavin Oglesby, and um, just you know my old friends, you know that I've known for since. See, a lot of these guys I've known since I was fifteen, you know it's 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 um oh and then we did the one in chicago we got to spend time with garrett and and the texas guys and i love scott and chris and and norm and and garrett garrett's like my little brother you know and i love seeing him anytime i get to see him i just love it you know and it's cool that the i think that what's really interesting about rev is that it was pegged as a hardcore label but and it was and they had an amazing early history with that but then you know, they'd have these inklings of, you know, if it was Texas, which, right. you know, initially, I mean, I always, I admitted when I got it, I actually didn't like it because I was such a hardcore kid. I didn't get right. it. And it took me well, like a few listens. And then, you know, if it was in into another or if it was, uh, you know, Elliot, uh, yeah. those type of, they just kind of had a way of, but each of those bands, you know, if it was Elliot had a connection to hardcore into yeah. it, like it was just, I loved that sort of connection. That, yeah, you know the bands moved on, but you still had that same bloodline going back. And that's the funny thing about Jordan. You know, um, Jordan used to come to Sensefield shows, and what happened was uh, Sensefield had printed up. I had printed up 500 CDs of our first our first EP, and I would just be selling them at, out of my backpack, you know. And 
And then Jordan's like, well, I'll take 200 of them. And I was like, 200 of them? Like, holy shit. And then he sold them, like, in a week. Wow. And I was like, what the fuck? And he's like, give me another 200. And I was like, holy shit. So then, you know, if if you can picture what it was like, like, trying to just get someone to buy one for five bucks. And then Jordan's, like, just taking them off my hands. It made sense. And then he would come to our shows. And he said he wanted to put out a record. And he was actually able to fund the recording and everything. So, and the funny thing is, is I, you know, like guys like you would would talk about how progressive revelation was and then i i'd ask jordan and i'd be like what why did you put out these records and he's like because i like the music you know it's like it was very simple yeah like he did he wasn't like oh this is gonna be good and this is gonna sell and maybe he was thinking that in his head but he would just say like i just like the bands you know he but would just that's... put out what he liked and he kind of you know because revelation had such a strong pull of you know uh his presence in the hardcore scene um, it's you because know, I, he was connected. I yeah, mean, he was you, connected. If yeah. I always, I mean, I joked about this a couple podcasts ago. If you don't know where the basement show is, you don't know what's going on. And I think right. Jordan having a connection to if it was Porcel telling him about a band or Norm right. or, or you, yeah. you know, you it, it there was a lineage and there was a connection to it. And that's the thing that I love. I mean, it happens today. It's not like it just mm-hmm. happened then. But that's when you really have a scene and a, yeah. and a connection. And and it's not just. All right, everybody. We got to sign all these bands with white belts. Get out there, yeah. you know. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and those and, people that are signing them actually never went to a show. Don't even know where the basement show is. Uh, probably never picked up guitar. It's right. you're not gonna get it. You're gonna pick a band that those guys maybe just formed last week, and their parents bought them all their stuff. And you're gonna think yeah. that's what it is. You there's a sort of authenticity that I think needed to happen when you're in it. Yeah, I agree. And Jordan I was totally in it. Agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the beginning, too. I mean, like, a long, long time ago, you know? And when did the Warzone 7 come out? I mean, was it, like, 85 or something like that? Or 80-something? Like, I mean, Jordan was putting out records in the mid-80s, you know? Yeah. I or maybe maybe it was later. I don't know. I can't, I can't even remember. It was probably 86 or 87. And he was and he was figuring it out. All right, well, yeah. wait a minute. We used this, this, you know, this person to make it last time, but we could find it right. cheaper here. And you were sort of, I mean, he was definitely figuring it out. And I think that plays a lot into seeing the right thing in a band or seeing something ahead of someone. Um, yeah. And that's why, I mean, that's why I still, you know, I'm not looking for new bands on major labels. I'm looking for them on the independent labels because they're more connected. And I think, you know, Rev and, you know, seeing, I mean, signing Sensefield in yeah. 94 was probably pretty crazy not crazy if you think about it now but then was yeah i think so i mean i i i absolutely agree but you know the the thing the thing that if you look at it from jordan's perspective so consider yourself like say you, you owned a record label you, you know you tom did and 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 you have a distribution system and you come and see you know uh uh, a band uh, and there's three other bands that are all friends and there's like a great show and everybody knows each other and everyone's buying shirts. Everyone's there's a, it's a thriving thing. And then um, you, you, you see, you see the band and then you're like, wow, you know, this band has a lot of songs or good songs. The crowd, the kids, the kids dig them. And then you take on 200 CDs of theirs and they sell in a week. I guess it would start making sense to him that it would be a safe, yeah, a, a, somewhat of a safe bet, I guess if that makes sense. Like, um, I mean, you know, you're not he, you're yeah. you're you're not counting uh, MySpace plays on your MySpace no. page. No, and you know, Jordan was just a, another hardcore kid. You know, really, when it came down to it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it, so yeah. What was it like sw- switching gears? What was it like uh, being on Rise when you were with War Generation? Well, um, Craig, Craig's been. I, you know, he saw Sensible before we even put any music out somehow. I think he was, like, very, very young. And um, the the interesting thing about what what had happened, um, I was working with my friend Brad Lehman on these songs. He would send me these, Brad would send me these, like, funny, like, um, kind of lo-fi dance tunes. Like, I would just ask him, like, what are you, what are you working on? And he would send me these like funny like goofy tunes and then I, I said are you are you doing any any like rock music or any music with guitars and he's like yeah and he sent me he sent me a couple songs and then I just ended, I edited them and then I wrote to them 
and he he was really happy about the tunes that I would send back to him, and so we just got, kind of got into this thing where we were just sending music back and forth to each other for about a year, and we ended up having like 13 songs. And right around that time, um, Craig Erickson from Rise had just happened to write to me and say, say you know, I saw Sensefield like in 91, something crazy like that. I, I don't remember where, maybe in Santa Cruz or Sacramento. And, and, he's, and he's like, you know, are you working on any music? Like, I'd love to... to you know, talk to you about putting out some music. And so then I had sent him these, these demos Brad and I were doing and he really liked them. And, uh, so then we ended up recording a record and then putting it out. I wish it was more successful because I wanted to, uh, we did one tour and it kind of just fizzled and it didn't, didn't sell well, unfortunately, but it's, I, I love the record and it sounds like I really, when I hear it, I'm like, I can't, I'll hear it and I go, Holy shit. Like that's me it's really nice to hear you know and i just wish it would have done better you know i feel kind of bad that it didn't you know i hope i didn't let craig down you know but i i know that he said that he really loves the record and everyone at rise loves it i just wish it would have done more you know yeah i mean for him to be able to i mean that's i know there were some labels that you know you have the bands that do really well so then you can sign the band yeah. that maybe you know that's not going to be as big but you still have this love for it and you hope right. hey, maybe something will happen or maybe and uh, i and i think that falls under that umbrella for him you know and um i'm sure the jealous sound was the same thing right i think it was and uh and i think you're right on point with that like he's got his bands that can cover the I, I call it like the vanity label, you know, like the vanity mm-hmm. side. The vanity side is the side like, you know, I've been listening to these dudes my whole life. I love them, and I want to put out, see them continue to put out music. And it's a, and it, I feel very honored that that Craig would do that for me and believe in me enough to to put out a record of mine, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. I think there that that's knowing the history. That's knowing the right the whole thing and that maybe you hope that the kid that listens to rise and, and there's a couple bands that he loves and they're chugga chugga and that they look over and they see another band and maybe they do a deep dive and realize who it is. And you hope, um, yeah. and then, and I, I think that, I think that happens. Um, the, 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 you know, like you said before, you know, everybody goes through their, you know, they, they listen to one style of music only maybe, and that's it. And that's what they're into. And they don't want to think or hear about anything else. And, um, but then something will happen. Well, like they'll hear something and it just connects. And then it just opens up their worldview of music. And, you know, like when I do, if I do an interview and someone says like, what bands are you influenced by? It's like, well, I've been listening to fucking music for 40 years, you know, and (laughs) you know what I mean? And, you know, and you know, you maybe try to think, well, maybe I should say something cool like the bad brains or people think I only listen to emo. Yeah. Maybe people think like I'll be cool (laughs) if I say, you know, bad religion. I mean, of course I love all that shit. And, but I mean, you know, I love it. There's so many. If I, it's a good song, I love it. I don't care what it is, you know? Yeah. I was at a show and someone said, why are you here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. <laughs> that's some, that's I like incredible. the band. I like the band. What are you talking yeah. about? I, I want to yeah. see them. <laughs> It'd be funny if you said, I don't, I don't know. Actually, you're right. I'm, he, at, I'm at the wrong show. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> like it's anybody's fucking business. Like, well, yeah, it's yeah. so funny. Why are you here? Yeah, that, that was yeah. the exact quote. Why are you yeah. here? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. That, I don't even know. Tell me, like, is there something Space going on? Space and time. I, I mean, yeah, that's we're all, incredible. We're all just molecules, man. Uh, <laughs> just start getting really fucking heady on. Yeah, them. get all deep on them and shit. <laughs> uh, you know, I also wanted to. Uh, I know that uh, you have a new band and yeah. uh, L- Lucky Scars and yes, sir. members of Ignite, and it's on Spartan Records, which is uh, run by one of my favorite people in the music industry, John Frazier. Um, yeah. So what up? Um, and uh, so just you know, I mean, I, when I hear it, I always laugh when I touch down into California. That if uh-huh. I turn on the radio, it's either uh, Rise Against, Bad Religion. Anyways. Pennywise or mm-hmm. um, Sublime, and right. I think that's okay because that's where I'm landing. I'm not landing in Seattle, but if I'm, if I feel like this fits right next to side of it, and I, I was kind of was really into that. That it just, it sounds sunny. 
Does it sound Southern California? It does. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, I lived here my whole life, and I, I guess I can't so. really help it. <laughs> you know, um, but that's the thing is, uh, you know, people the, the the intent Tom was to start a rock and roll like a rock and roll band, you know. But mm-hmm. you know, of course, because I've just I I I don't I want to play fast tunes, and I want to play you know everything is going to come out melodic because that's that's sort of how I operate and I've always operated, but, um, it, you know, it wasn't like, let's start a punk band. Like we wanted to, I really wanted to start like, have you ever, have you ever listened to like the, the dwarves Yes, and, and like how they're like, there's, they, they play like all these like cool, like rock and roll style songs. And, and, um, you know, I'm like, I want to play, like, I want to play fast rock and roll. And, um, this is the result of it. And Nick, Nick, who was formerly of ignite, and I, I filled in for Ignite for a tour when their singers only heard his back on the Pennywise tour. And um, that was over in Europe. And so then we just talked about doing, uh, you know, a, a band and just doing like fast rock and roll. But then, of course, now it comes out punk rock. But it's really not like, let's start a punk band. You know, it was just like, let's do fast rock and roll. And I really wanted the guitars to be showcased and like be louder. And, you know, I don't like... I don't like when there's two guitars and like the lead guitar is like even with the the rhythm guitar, you know. I want, I like it when it stands out and it's louder and it's it's supposed to, you know. And mm-hmm. um and uh yeah, and so you know, we just decided we're going to start this like backyard party punk ba- punk rock and roll band, you know, and um I'm very happy with the, Did you hear all four songs or just one so far? I have heard all four. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, that's that's sort of our guiding light, like make melodic, fast, fun, um, party pop, punk rock, rock and roll songs, you know? I know there's not necessarily a lot of money in EPs, according to, I mean, you would maybe know better than me, but uh, <laughs> uh, you're, an, you're a label guy. <laughs> <laughs> label guy. What are you doing here? Yeah, what, what are, are you, you doing, doing here, here? Man? What are you doing here? You're why a label guy. Why are you doing this podcast? <laughs> yeah, what is this? What is this? You're okay. What are you doing this podcast for? <laughs> but no, but you might understand the the the, the logistics. But I don't know. You know, doing ten do people will need ten songs. Um, people buy one song at a time now. I don't know what's going on. I'd rather do four songs than do another EP and get it out and stay just just completely keep keep putting out music instead of just having to wait and wait and wait. Waiting sucks. When you're in a band, it's the worst. You ask any musician. It's in a band. It seems like all we're doing is waiting, you know. Even when we're being active, it's just like waiting. You go to you, you got to drive to a show. You drive ten hours and you get there. And what do you got to do? You got to wait, you know. And then you then you got to get back in the van. What do you got to do? You got to wait another ten hours. So do you get do you get to play one of the songs on the podcast? Doesn't that make you feel good, man? No, I was going to tell you, Tom, it's yeah, so yeah. fun when it's so funny when you um, are interviewed by someone and they have no idea of like anything about your band, or or they get like stuff wrong, like everything they're they're bringing up is just like they don't even know what they're even talking. It's just you're just going, oh my god, you know, it's it's like really <laughs> funny and you know it's refreshing to have you know so much about the history and i appreciate you know that you would have me on and that it would be 
worthy of your podcast you know uh, it means a lot dude thank really you man does. i appreciate it I, I this is i am a fan out in the crowd i am not anything special and i just think that these bands need to be mentioned and, and remembered and thank you. uh i think that's that's the whole catalyst to this and i think even if this pop era is happening again and there's people remembering the mid-2000s it's still going to be this i'm gonna this time period wasn't captured on instagram this time period wasn't captured in facebook right. posts. we can't look back so we have to have something and there's paper but that's going away so this audio hopefully will be that sort of uh living you know breathing thing that you know people library yeah yeah so that's and like a resource it would be a resource too isn't it funny too like like i don't know if you hear this all the time um but you'll hear people say yeah the 90s are coming back or the now it's like the 2000s are coming back you're just going like what are you even talking about you know yeah it's 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 always been there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's i guess it's, it's so weird though it meetings. means so much to it means so much to guys like us you know that you would you would help keep the memory alive and and support the new things that we're doing as well you know it means a lot to have um the new band mentioned you know of course, why? I mean, I understand you're doing promotion, but it's like if I'm just going to talk about Sensefield, that's not the whole thing. And my whole thing, and I think it goes back to what you're about to say, is that it's about the future. Is that the, I think the important thing for guys like me is to create new memories and to live new memories. You know, to to have new shows and meet new people and bring the old friends as well. You know, and and um. I like thinking back of all the old Sensefield days and all that. But at the same time, a lot of it, I don't like, I'll like, I really don't think of it too much. And then I don't remember until I start thinking of it. But, you know, the goal is to create new, new parties, you know, and, and new shows and new music. And uh, that's the thing that uh, keeps the, the future hopeful you know i really hope that people keep doing that but again everyone's just going to be like play the fucking hits yeah that's true that's what they want right <laughs> and that's the thing is like yeah they want and then people say well, why are you playing the songs everybody wants to hear <laughs> and they're like i don't know i didn't think about it well awesome Tommy. it's so, so such a pleasure to talk to you and meet you and okay okay great. man thank you so well thank much, you Tom. thank you dude great to meet you great to talk to you Awesome, and I'll let you I'm know blown, when this is up. I'm blown. I'm blown away by your 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 knowledge. It's <laughs> you're the Matt Penfield of of uh, emo. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a great job. Thank you, John. Take care. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye.
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1 so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.